Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you again this morning. We are <clears throat> thawing out in Houston, our second hard freeze of the year. I, I think we uh, rarely accomplish that. And I guess the irony is, thanks to global warming, uh, we're freezing to death here uh, in this area. But um, I wanted to press on. I've had some uh, interesting feedback uh, over the last week from uh, last week's message. And it will help. If you don't have last week's message, you can uh, go on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, you can get that message. I think you can also uh, hear that message on our website as well, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> on Vimeo. And there are people here who can explain uh, how easy that is. Uh, as Kim said in our announcements, uh, this idea that the gospel, it's going to leave a mark. This is uh, week three in that message. Uh, the fact that the gospel shows uh, on the people it influences and it affects. And we looked at this verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where the scripture says, this is Paul speaking, but he's making this declaration that is true for all of us. This idea, I am not ashamed of the good news. That's the same word that we use for the gospel. I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, uh, saving everyone who believes. It says to the first, the Jew, the Gentile, really just describing it in their current culture, but believes everyone who believes. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This idea that the gospel, this message, this, this news is the reality of what God has done for man through Jesus Christ. And that it, when it comes into us in that message and we accept it, we receive it, we embrace that message, there is a power of God that is work at us. And the gospel through the Spirit becomes resident in every person who says yes to Jesus. And that means I may not be perfect and you might not be perfect, but what it also says is there is perfection that resides in you and I. And that perfection, if we allow that perfection to take hold, we allow that perfection to do what it can do, it will begin to change and influence and transform with, from within. And I have to tell you, Every person who is truly changed, changes from within. Every person who truly changes, changes from within. And the gospel has the power to do that. The gospel is the idea, not that our behavior becomes immaculate, not that right and wrong become clear. What happens is we are restored in right relationship with the Father. The way we were created to be, the separation that sin has created, has been overcome, and we are now restored in relationship with the Father, and the restoration of that becomes the influence resident in us to make change in us. Now, last week, we talked about practicing the gospel. We want to back up, and I want to bring into kind of clarity why practicing the gospel, why it is important, what it's actually doing. And we look at Ephesians uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 22 through 24. And I, I apologize, I do not have the PowerPoint today. Um, 
that was a technical difficulty, and that technical difficulty was me. Um, so uh, in the scripture here, it says, uh, in reference to your former manner of life. So before you accepted Christ, before the gospel came into you, all right? So when it's talking about that old way of life, it says you lay aside the old self. Scripture begins in these many places, begins to outline the gravity of what has happened, the huge aspect of that change. It calls it an old self. It distanced itself from that former way of living, that former way of being, that former identity, that person you said was uh, is outgoing, is temperamental, uh, likes chick flicks, uh, likes RoboCop. We, we create the persona that we are. We identify with our weaknesses and our strengths. Uh, I'm good at that. I'm not good at that. I was talking to my son-in-law a couple of weeks ago who's very athletic, um, very, very capable in sports, and we were talking about ice skating, and he doesn't like ice skating. And as we talked about it, uh, he said, I, I'm not very good at it. I said, well, you're very athletic. He said, I, I know. Uh, that's why it doesn't make any sense. But I've decided that anything sports-oriented I'm not very good at must be a, a stupid sport. And I think that's kind of the way we can operate is we, we look at, okay, um, I'm not good at that. Therefore, it, it is now unimportant. So, so this idea that we have a persona, we, we kind of have an idea of who we think we are, and that becomes the old self. Now, the scripture is going to challenge you. The scripture challenges me, and, it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't make you a fool. It challenges you and I. When it says things like, lay aside the old self, let me ask you, what are you going to lay aside? Have you considered it? You see, because the gospel brings into play something that man can do. Man has the power to consider himself. Humanity has the capability to consider themselves. To self-evaluate. To look at oneself. Now, the way we normally do that is we look at oneself, I look at myself in the context of my setting. So if all my friends have new trucks, my tension is, do I need a new truck to be normal? I mean, that's a real issue. I'm not making light of that issue. That is the way we operate out of our own current reality. It's what makes, I'm going to call it the Western or the American gospel, so troubling. Because if you want to see if your gospel is, is whole and correct, take it and see if it operates in Afghanistan. Go into a prison in the Philippines and see if that gospel still functions at full capacity. See what you have to take off of it when you go to Bangladesh to places where they're starving to death or in countries where there's no rights at all, where people are bought and sold as assets. 
Go to those places and see if the gospel still works at full capacity. Because if it doesn't, you have a, capa- you have a gospel that's been created in your own reality. It's been created in your own culture. You see, when you look at these words, you begin to see there is an old self and the way I must evaluate my life is not by do I look normal compared to my surroundings. Uh, I'm not poor because everybody around me is poor and therefore we're not poor. I grew up in a family with no money. We were, a lot of people would call poor. I, I just never knew it. I never knew it. Everybody else around me looked kind of like me. You know, uh, we, we, we were normal. We had meat, I don't know, three times a year, four times a year. It was probably more than that, but um, that's what I kind of remember. How are you going to know how to lay off the old self? Lay aside the old self. It says it is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Our, our reality, our self is being changed daily. It's being conformed to the likes and dislikes of this world. When you watch the news, you will develop opinions about people that you no longer like, or it will confirm the idea that you really do like those people. You will change your mind about a country that said something ugly about the U.S., You will no longer see Turkey as, okay, it's just the meat at Thanksgiving, but they're a country that says ugly things about us. We will see the world through an evolving culture that is you and I. And what the scripture says, if you're a person that is willing to self-evaluate, is that that environment is a corrupting environment. And it corrupts. So you've got the old self that's being manipulated, controlled, and corrupted, is the scripture's word, by the environment. And it's challenge. Understand what is happening. Lay aside that old self. Take that package, set it aside, and then begin to look at the person that the scripture created to be the people of God. Begin to look at what they look like. Begin to look at that. Begin to see and understand. What does a person look like that is under the power and the influence of the gospel? What does it say about the gospel? What it says is instead of corrupting, it heals. The gospel heals. The gospel renews. The gospel restores. The gospel transforms. These are the words that the scripture says about what the gospel does with you and I from the inside. That's what it does. So the old self that's being corrupted and it's comfortable, we know it. We understand it. Even the pieces we don't like, we understand. And sometimes we can glory in the brokenness of humanity. I used to do some work in the Fifth Ward, which was, at that time, it was the uh, most violent part of Houston. And there's the projects there. And I saw these guys wearing T-shirts that lived there in the Fifth Ward. What their shirt said is, 
the bloody fifth. They wore those shirts with pride. We do that. That's what we do. You see, if it's where I'm from, it must be who I am. I'm Fifth Ward. I'm South Side. We say those things like it is a prize. The scripture doesn't really say that person is terrible. The scripture doesn't make any distinction at all. You could say River Oaks. You could say Hollywood. You could say anything you want to say. But what Jesus is calling you to say is kingdom of God. That is your orientation of home. You see, that is being renewed in the spirit of your mind. And it puts on the new self, which is in the likeness of God. That's what the scripture says. And put on the renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's what it calls. That's a pretty radical shift, isn't it? But that's one that we have to embrace. We have to understand. Old self, new self. When I went on a diet and I'm, I'm trying to get my blood pressure down and this doctor in this book says, okay, here's the bottom line. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a book this thick. Uh, stay away from animal proteins. Go after green vegetable proteins and eat them raw. You know, he's a, he's a guy that's strictly by the numbers guy. You know, you talk about cereal, he throws it out. Granola, he throws it out. Uh, fruit juices, he throws them out. It's like, dude, green leaf raw vegetables. He's got like a one-track mind. But it lowered my blood pressure over 50 points. That's his mind. And so all of a sudden, I find myself, you know, looking at labels. I find myself, you know, leaning toward raw things. I find myself looking at the environment differently, and I become changed. Do I eat meat? I do. But I am transformed in how I see me. I'm transformed in how I see the food I eat. You see, it says that that renewal comes from here. It says, put on the new self. Take off the old self that's being corrupted. Put on the new self. I believe most of us as believers, we don't really even have a good concept for that. We're not sure exactly how that looks. But the gravity of that change, the gravity of the old and new, is repeated over and over again in the Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. If you're in Christ, the new creation has come. It has come. It has arrived. It is now within you. The new creation is here. The old has gone. It has replaced the old. You hear that language? 
Do you hear how definitive that is? Do you hear how radical that is? How wonderful it is? Galatians 2 and verse 20. Paul says it this way to the Galatians, the people of Galatia. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm giving you these to see the gravity of the before and after. To see the completeness of what God is doing. And to see that it's not about behavior. It's not about right and wrong. It's not about rules. It's not about those things. It's about that Jesus has come and restored the relationship and is placed inside us in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit the power to enter into that relationship. The power to be someone different. The power to be different. And and in that, we begin to resemble not only Jesus, not only can uh, can we relate to the Father and we can live out life in Jesus, but also it becomes the richest and the greatest thing that you can be in the world. It's why when we read in Titus chapter two last week, starting with verse 11. And for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It commits to teach us those things. When and how? Right now. Right now. Right now in my environment. If I'm in Afghanistan, in the northern part, it teaches me right now. If I'm in a prison, it teaches me right now. If I'm being sold into slavery right now, it's teaching me. It's empowering me to be a person of the gospel. It's empowering me in my new life. And no one can stop that from happening. It's why you can go anywhere in the world and you can offer anybody in any circumstances the gospel and you are offering them the most powerful, important thing that the world has. It offers this salvation and then the spirit within us begins to teach us. Now that's that self evaluating peace. Many of us would love for it to be a pill. We take the gospel pill. I don't lust anymore. I don't have an anger issue anymore. Uh, I don't overeat. I don't reach for my addiction. You know, we would, just, we would just love for that pill to be like that. You see, that's not about being changed. That's about being overcome with something. This is about God really is here to bring the change so that I'm different. And and I become different in such a way that it really becomes who I am. 
not just an override, not just I, I have to push the override. I think much of our idea of the gospel is about giving up, about not getting, about doing without, and then we just have to move on. And that's where I'm going today. I want us to look at that. Last week in Philippians in chapter 2, we used this language where the scripture says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard. There is some work in it to show the results of your salvation, to re- show the results of the, what, the, what the spirit within me has accomplished and can accomplish and will accomplish. You see, that's the evidence of the gospel. It's when it's revealed in humanity, then it becomes real to the world. And it says, work this out. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says this to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, uh, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Now this idea of handling, most people read this as they can discern the word of truth. They, you know, I can tell you, well, this is about only the Greeks and this, we, we can disseminate the word correctly. It's about handling the truth. It's about working with the truth. I rightly handle the truth. What does that mean? It means that I rightly embrace and work toward laying aside the old self, embracing the new self, becoming the new creation. It says, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It means that I will embrace those truths and I will watch what they can do in my life. When we read on with that, this idea, um, do everything, this was also in chapter two of Philippians, without complaining and arguing. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives. Shining light, bright lights in the world that's full of crooked and perverse people. You see, it's setting that stage. It says, if you want to shine like a light in the world, you'll have to give up complaining. No more complaining. Oh, no more arguing. No more complaining, no more arguing. Years ago, I was, uh, I was talking to uh, a guy who uh, was not from the U.S., and he married a, um, uh, a woman from the U.S., and he was talking about when they first started seeing one another, and she um, hurt herself somehow, and she said, ouch. He was not familiar with the word ouch. So he said, uh, what is ouch? What does that word mean? Uh, she said, well, I, I don't know. You, you say it when it hurts. Why? You, you, you just do. Ouch. 
It's a go-to word when you, when you get hurt. He said, but, but why? Because you do. He said, is that a word Jesus would use? She said, I don't know. He said, I don't think I like that word. I remember thinking at the time, I thought, man, you're a little bit hung up on ouch, you know. You need to let that go. I don't know that I was correct. I don't know that I'm willing to say he was wrong. Here's, here's why I say that. It's because what do I practice in my responses to my condition, my pain, my situation? This is really not about ouch, folks. It's not about ouch is a sin. This is about in our lives, I think if we want to say, I want to work hard to show the results of my salvation. If the scripture is bold enough to say, are you willing to give up arguing? When I was at McDonald's the other day to get a cup of coffee and the worker, instead of helping me, is arguing with somebody else something about their phone screen. And it became this big, you know, ghetto debate back there. And I thought, I don't want to see this. This is not hospitality. And I thought, how often am I like that? How often am I at a table and I am talking to someone and I'm complaining about something else and people can overhear that? So if people overhear my dialogue at my table, at my restaurant, will they find the gospel? Will they? Or will they hear my pet peeves? Will they hear the fallenness of my day? Will they hear the idiots that I encountered in that moment? What will, they, will they hear about my service is poor, that the coffee is cold? What are they going to hear at my table? There's a saying uh, in, in the U.S. and much of the Western world, the devil is in the details. Have you heard that saying? I have decided... That statement is true. But I have also decided this in the new life, in the redeemed life. You see, in the old life, in the old self, the devil indeed was in the details. In my new life, if I am to be transformed, if I am to be changed, if I am to be different, and Jesus will have to be in the details. You see, Jesus must be in the details. And that means I must concern myself with the details. That means where I have been willing to give up the minutia of my life, I've been willing to let the small stuff slide. I can use this word here. I can use that word there. I can talk about them under my breath. 
I can just think bad things about you. I can do those things. Why? Because they haven't really hindered my appearance of the gospel, have they? And I think Jesus would say, they have absolutely hindered the appearance of the gospel in you. It's because the appearance of the gospel comes from inside. Do you really think that you can manipulate the look of the gospel on you? Do you really think that Jesus, his appearance, his glory, his aura can be manipulated by you and I? Really? Have we proven that to be true? Does the world look at us and immediately think, wow, there is a greater power than a human being right there. Something cool is about, it's like being around that person. Or do we come across painfully average? A while back, I did a series on whoever owns the moment owns your life. And that's come back to visit in this moment. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard to show the results of transformation. That means that it's transformed. If it's not, then you're just working hard to show deception. Then you're working hard to present something that is not really true inside you. But if I'm really working hard to show my transformation, then it means that I will take notice of my transformation. And it means that it says I will correctly handle the truth. It means I become a self-evaluating person. It means I will listen to my ouch. And I will concern myself with the origin of that. When I used to worry the words, do everything without complaining and arguing, I just have this checklist. Okay, it's like, it's like this. You know, somebody says, well, you have really bad diabetes, so uh, take sugar off your list. Okay, so no more watermelon, no more chocolate pie, no more this and that. And then you begin to realize how everything has sugar in it. And then somebody else, yeah. And then somebody else says, well, salt's bad for your heart, Bill, so you got to cut out salt. And you realize everything has salt in it. It's like, yeah, I can't have anything with salt, can't have any sugar. Um, you know, even celery has salt. Okay, I'm going to sit around and eat carrot sticks and, and be a rabbit and, you know, live a miserable rest of my life. That's, that's the way I used to package that in my head. I think we as Christians can do the same thing. Okay, I can't, you know, talk about people. I can't argue. I can't be sarcastic. Uh, I can't this. I can't that. You know, I have to be on my best behavior all the time. It's like there's not enough do's to overcome the don'ts. There's not enough balance in that. I'm not getting enough back, it felt like, for me to say, okay, I'm never going to complain again. I think, well, that's, that's probably not going to happen. But what if I made that a point? I'm going to make it an issue of the gospel. I'm going to look for the transformation. I'm going to concern myself 
with the details because Jesus is in the details. Jesus must be in the details of my life because if he isn't, then the devil is still in the details. And all I'm doing is I'm praying and I'm coming to God at every one of my crises. I'm just trying to keep the train on the track somewhere. I don't know where it's going. I'm just doing good to keep it on the track. But what if I make it my point that Jesus is in the details of my life? I was having this conversation with someone this week, um, and it was a, a bit of a challenging moment because I was bringing this up when this person was having a challenging moment. And I just thought, hey, what if complaining is not our best option right here? Well, this person really felt entitled to complain. And I think we feel a lot of entitlement in our life. You know, when people are jerks, we feel some entitlement to respond appropriately to that. You know, we just, we just that's something is right about that. But Jesus would say, that's in the old self, that's right. In the new self, you're going to be like a fish out of water. You're not going to know how to do it. So as I brought this up, this person makes this comment. So is it wrong to be me? Is it wrong to be honest about how I feel? Can I not say how I feel? Can I not feel? Can I not be honest? Can I, do I have to just shut everything in? What about if I really am hurt? What about if I really am this? When, it, when, when do I get to be me? Or just being a Christian, I can't be me. I thought those were very good questions. I thought they're very good questions. I believe those are the right questions. Now, even if they're said in frustration, and even if the person wasn't really asking the question for an answer, but they were asking the question to demonstrate how unrealistic and how unreasonable that request is. I want you to know, it's not my request. It's what the scripture calls. It's not my request. I'm with you. I'm really good at sarcasm, you know? But I've noticed as the Lord has worked on me in this thing, I have begun to put Jesus in the details of my life, the smallest of details. The other night, Melinda and I were at this restaurant. And if you ask Melinda, she'll tell you I have a pet peeve. Um, when you get a table full of people, I find this especially true with women. I don't think it's a sexist statement. I think it's just what my observation Get a little bit of alcohol in them. It's loud and everything is funny. They will laugh at everything. And they don't just, it's not a ha-ha. I mean, it's like 30 seconds of out loud, crazy laughter. I hate it. It's annoying to me. They got seven people and you can't hear anything in this room that's got 90 people in it but those seven. And they have no idea how obnoxious they are. And Melinda graciously sits there while I wax eloquent about this 
injustice at my meal. Is that true? That's true. What are you going to do? Well, we can leave. We'll have ours to go. I'm sorry, we'll have ours to go. I know you can't hear me. Or is there another way? Here's my conviction from what the scripture says. In those moments, in the moment where I'm angry, the moment where I'm frustrated, the moment where I feel left out, shortchanged, cheated, misunderstood, judged, where I'm angry, in those moments, does God have another option? You see, is there another option in lust? Is there another option in greed? Is there another option in judgment? Is there any option that God offers? Or is it just, I can't complain and I just have to sit here? I just have to sit here and watch this happen and I, it's, it's about I can't do and like God has nothing for me. And I think that's been the deception. You see, the truth is, there's always something that God has to replace what Satan has to give you a response. There's always a response God has. In injustice, God has a response. In frustration, God has a response. In loud cackling of people, God has a response. He has a response. Not only does he have one, it's the right one. It's a good one. And it doesn't have to judge them. And it doesn't have to make me arrogant. So you see, the point is, it's not about how I feel in that moment and feeling like I must be vocal in that. What it says is, it is an opportunity and I have to learn that there are options. There are always options. To feel that I have no option except to be sarcastic or ugly, to feel I have no option, is to be deceived. I have an option, and it begins as an option in my heart and mind. The other night when we were there and the Lord was speaking to me, and the Lord said, listen to them. And I did, I eavesdrop on the people over there. It was equal male and female, by the way. You know, I liked the comments they were making. And I began in my soul. This is true. This is true. You want to hear a miracle? I'll tell you a miracle right now. I began to kind of celebrate their laughter and their kidding around together. I, I began to hear it differently. And I was enjoying the noise. I was. God is my witness. I was enjoying it. I told, I told, they got up and left. I told Melinda, I really enjoyed them. She kind of looked at me. You see, that's what the gospel offers you and I. And it's something genuine. We look at the gospel as stuffing the old and not embracing the new. The dilemma is we must embrace the new or we don't change. When we embrace the new, that's what the world sees. And that's different. So I would tell you, 
Look at the details of your life. Look at the details of your thoughts. Look at the details of your actions, no matter how small. And to think that you can just make a comment, oh, nice move, you know, whatever. I mean, these things, even if you're in your car and they can't hear them, trust me, it is corrupting you. It's not free. We, we think those are just free. And, and it's not about you're going to go to hell or God hates you or there's judgment. It means that you don't move into the glory of it. It means that you don't get the benefit. And so we allow these licenses of the old self. We continue to license. You know, we, we give ourselves... Um, In, in aviation, we call them waivers. But the truth is, all they do is they keep us small and stunted, living in the old self, living in frustration, living in the limitations of the old self. But what God is saying is, I always have a response in everything you're in, whatever you're enduring, Whatever is happening, whatever you're feeling, are you feeling left out? Are you feeling hurt? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling targeted? Are you feeling isolated? I have a response. They are not your enemy. Come to me. I have a response. You know, we might think, well, I'm just being human. I'm only human. And I think the gospel would say, every time you reach for that old humanity, you sacrifice the new. Is it worth it? Is it worth it just so I can make my one little comment? You see, what I find is it wasn't a sacrifice at all the other day with the cackling people. I found I'm still living in that victory. I'm still living in it. Where I could have been ugly and said things to Melinda or under my breath or just thought them. But they would still be draining me today. There is a cost to be just human. It's a grave cost to say, I want to embrace the old humanity just in this minute, just for this second, I'm going to reach for the old. If I'm really hurt, instead of thinking that me voicing my pain is going to be my greatest healing, I need to find the response God can give me in that moment. I need to hold on to that response with all my might. How many of you have heard someone who was hurt and then you heard their story again a month later and then a month later and then you heard, and they really were hurt. There was some great injustice. And then you heard it a year later and 10 years later, they can still communicate that loss, that hurt, that pain. It's not healing them. What the gospel says is, I can heal it. I can heal it. The old self can say it. The old self can declare it. 
The old self can, can live in it. The old self can honor it. I can heal it. That's the difference. Who is in the details of your life? In the moments, in the seconds, in the small. Because the battle is won and lost a thousand times a day in our mental responses, our heart responses. It's lost or won a thousand times a day. But you see, if I'm recognizing the battle is in the details and I'm not willing to surrender any of my details anymore, I'm not willing to surrender one. I don't want to surrender one. I don't want to give up uh, so I can say, you know, stupid, whatever, just so I can call somebody a name, even if it's under my breath. I don't want to surrender one anymore. Not one. And maybe I will argue before the end of my life. Maybe I'll argue with you. But I will not give it up lightly. My intention is to not argue. I have no idea how that looks. I have no idea. I can't even picture how that works in a human life. Can't picture it. I don't have to picture it. I just have to do the next one. I just have to do one. The next argument comes up, I have to deal with that. And I will reach to Jesus and say, okay, what's our response? What do you normally do here? And if I can do that again and again and again, I'll get to the end of my life. And somewhere along the way, maybe arguing will become foreign to me. Just like not arguing is foreign right now. And that is what we call transformed. Who is in your details? Are your details defining you? If you would stand. I guess I'm saying, how are your details defining you? Because you're absolutely being defined by the details.